Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. We like to do things uh, God's way. And I would have liked to have said uh, then, if I were alive then, that we were on the side of uh, MLK on that. Uh, thing. Um, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it? We're going to be in James chapter 2, and also uh, you could thumb over to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so quite a bit of work to do uh, this morning, and I uh, hope you drank your coffee, and I hope you're ready uh, to get into the Word together this morning. We're going to begin a brand new series on relationships, and this isn't just about the relationships that we have as married couples, but I wanted to do an all-encompassing series about relationships. So our relationships with our neighbors, our relationships with our workers, and, and on and on and on I could go. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at that. And honestly, if we're, if we're honest in this room, that uh, our relationships with others really is a window into our relationship uh, with the Lord. I got one amen this morning. In other, in other words, um, how I treat people, uh, my relationship, if my relationship with people is toxic, if my relationship with people is, is, is about me, then most likely your relationship with the Lord is probably the same. H- however, if I have some gospel-centered, right, healthy, balanced relationships with the people around me, then it could be that my relationship with the Lord is also healthy. So how we have relationships with other people, it, it matters a lot. And so how I thought I would do this, especially on this weekend being uh, MLK holiday weekend, I thought we would look at uh, our racial relationships. Now, I, I need to just kind of uh, say a few things uh, in, in hopes that you will hear me uh, this morning that, first of all, you can pray for me, all right? Like right now, just say in the name of Jesus, touch that preacher right now. Because, because this is, honestly, this is like, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to talk about racial relationships through the lens of a mid-30s, I ain't going to tell you my age, um, <laughs> mid-30s white dude who's middle class. Because if I were to tell you how to do racial relationships through that lens, then we all messed up. And we're going to be in a heap of trouble, as, as we used to say. What I want us to do, and what I, my prayer is, is that we'll view this through the lenses of the gospel. Because that's our only hope in any of this. So let me just lay out my cards on the table real quick. I, I hope not to rant. I, I hope that this isn't my opinion. All right? However, if that comes out, just... Labor with me in this. All right, we're, we're going to get this right, okay? Um, because I don't want that to happen. It may happen, uh, but just pray for me and don't leave. All right, you got to hang on to the end because there may be some things that are offensive, uh, and that's okay because I'm an equal offender. All right, I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> offender. I like to offend all kinds of people, including myself. I like to offend myself. That's weird. I know. I'm going through therapy for it, but y'all just pray for me, okay? So, so, so 
in relationships through the lens, and I probably should stick to my notes this morning, uh, which would probably help me out a lot. My, my motivation behind this, in talking about relationships uh, that are not just with our homogeny or not just with our people group, but with, with all types of people, is not that we will become a diverse church. Although I want us to become a diverse church. My hope is that, in this message, is that we will become a people who are reconciling with others. There's a difference between the two. Because if we are bent towards racial reconciliation, then the implications of that will then become a diverse church. So I don't want us to get confused. Yes, we need to become a unified, diverse church. But I think what we ought to focus on is racial reconciliation, racial relationships. So that's, that's my cards on the table. Um, racial reconciliation and racial relationships is not um, the gospel. Okay, I want you to hear that. It is not the gospel. It is the implications of the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died and he rose again for you, your, for you and for me. That's, that's, the, that's the glorious news that you'll hear this morning. However, the implications of God saving you is racial reconciliation. So, in, a, in the Bible, it's, its primary theme is this coming of the Lord, this redemption, to do one thing, to make us as one people. That's the theme of the Bible. Not to make us, not to pull us out of our race, but in our race, pull us into his fam jam. The gospel in the Bible never intends for you to not be white or for you to not be black or Hispanic. The gospel and the intent of the gospel is to move you into his family. So, so this means that I'm not forsaking my whiteness, and I'm, the, I'm white. I probably have only fooled Willie on that one, but, 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 uh, but the rest of y'all know, like y'all know I get out in the sunshine too long, my skin, my skin starts glistening like I'm a vampire or something, that's how white I am, all right, and I tell you this right now, I don't know of another name that's more whiter than Matthew, maybe Bryson or some preppy name like that, if your name is Bryson, I don't mean any offense to that, I'm just saying like, I don't, I need to stick with the Bible on this. Um, but here's what he's doing. He's taking my whiteness, and he's taking your blackness, and he's taking your Hispanicness, and he's making us into his Jesusness. Are you with me on that? So that's the purpose, and that was a ramification and implication of the gospel, that he took all of our cultures, and he put us into the same mix. Not that we can say, 
you know, there's, there's no longer white people. There's no longer um, uh, black people. No, there will be. There will be all peoples. It's the theme of the Bible. So, so this theme is, is found in many scriptures, and I just want to share a few before I get to James 2, before I get to Ephesians 4. This is an extremely long introduction. <laughs> All right, this is 1135. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17, you, you can just jot this down. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So this is comprehensive implications in this scripture. So he doesn't eradicate our race in this. He doesn't eradicate our culture in this. And I know you've probably heard before, well, you know, in the kingdom of God, there's only just one, uh, one race. No, there's, there's one family, okay? So he's not eradicating your race. He's making you new. In fact, what he's doing here is that he is, uh, that what this means is that we must uh, subjugate our whiteness into his Jesusness. Or our blackness into his Jesusness. It's hard for me to say our blackness because I'm so pale and white. I'm not, you know. Anyway, let's move on to the next scripture, I suppose. And this is all themed out through the scripture. I just want you to, I'm, I'm laying out a foundation here. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Acts 17.26, incredible scripture. Uh, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Now, here's what this is suggesting, and I think this is a no-brainer for us who call ourselves Christians, that you and I came from one dude and one girl. Now, for Christians, we're like, duh. Now, what's so fascinating about the Scripture is when science catches up to the Bible. So there's been a lot of articles released lately, a couple from some universities, that are finding out, get this, that perhaps... All of humanity can be traced to one couple. And like, and all those believers are like, uh, oh, duh. Like we, we've been saying this for a really long time. So, so you, you as, as white people, and my black brothers and sisters, and my Hispanic people and all this, guess what? You got the same mom and daddy as I do. <laughs> it's true. Science, is, it's always wonderful to watch when, when science starts to catch up um, with the Bible. This is interesting. Throughout the Bible, Jesus would always use... Um, the non-Jew as the hero of the story. We, we talked about this last week, how Jesus used the Samaritan. And this is Jesus's ebb and flow. This is how Jesus would do things. And this is the theme and the nature and the narrative of Scripture. If you flip and leaf through the Psalms, there's this theme that says, and all people, all nations 
will rejoice. All people will be glad in the Lord. Not just one people group. I mean, Peter gets this dream about eating a Baconator, and then suddenly Jesus appears to him. He's like, hey, it's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. That's not really how the story goes, but just, you know, humor me for a moment. So this is God's plan for us, that we would not be in our homogeny group of people, but that we would be seeking out relationships uh, with all people. And so when it comes to racial relationships, I want you to think through the lens of the Imago Dei. Now, the Imago Dei is just the image of God. That's what that means. And we get this idea from Genesis about the uh, Imago Dei that we were all created in the image of God. So here's what that means. That not just you were created in the image of God, but all people were created in the image of God, which means that we all have this fundamental belief that we value all life. That we value all race, all life. Now I want to warn you, there may be a rant here in just a second. Here's what I don't want us to get tripped up into and fall into when we think about the value of human life. I don't want you just to view it through the lenses of Abortions. Now, yes, okay, hang tight now. Don't email me yet. We value the unborn. One of the most hypocritical, demonic things that I have seen from some of my people is that they will hold the banner of pro-life. They'll march with the pro-lifers. They'll, they'll share the Facebook with the pro-lifers. They'll, they'll donate to the pro-lifers. They'll, they'll want to enforce more judges to overturn Roe v. Wade. And yes, and amen to that. But one of the demonic dangers and the hypocrisy of that is that these same people who are waving this banner of pro-life, they do not care when one of our brothers and sisters who aren't our race is die, has died an unjust death. Y'all don't want me to talk to y'all about that, but that's all right. I'm going to go there anyway. You've probably seen the news recently about Laquan McDonald. Listen to me carefully, white people. I don't care about your opinion in the matter. But what I saw from many of our white brothers and sisters were people wanting to just spit out facts. Well, he shouldn't have been out that late. Well, he shouldn't have been doing this. He shouldn't have been waving a knife around. Listen to me carefully. If you really valued human life, now's not the time for you to be throwing out your facts that nobody cares about. Can you please just do us all a favor and get off of social media? Let me, let me, let me press, if I haven't already. How good has that worked for you in your marriage? When your wife begins to point out something that's wrong or when your wife begins to uh, complain about something, you know what my knee-jerk reaction is to do? To point out the facts. Well, you didn't, you didn't recognize me when I was doing the dishes. 
well, you didn't do this. Well, I was doing that for you while you're complaining about me doing this. Do you know how good that's going to go well in that argument? I'm trying to help some of you people who are getting married soon. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm going to help you out too, Willie, but i got a long way to go for that one. So when, oh, God, help us today. Y'all need to pray, saints of God. Hey, hey, here's what, I, here's what I'm suggesting here. Listen, sensitivity never did wrong to any person just by leaning in and just being sensitive about a situation. Throwing out your facts that nobody cares about, it's, it's never won in a conversation and never won an argument. All right, I don't know that dear brother that was murdered, shot ruthlessly 16 times in the back. I don't know that man. But I can go ahead and tell you what I do know. Now is not the time for you who call yourselves Christians as white people to be laying out facts about why or why not he should have been doing this or should have been doing that. I got to get to James chapter 2. Good. I know. Tell you not to walk out on me yet, all right? I love you. James chapter 2. Half-brother Jesus right here. So if you're going to listen to anybody, he may be the brother to listen to, okay? At one point in his life, denouncing Christ, wanting to, wanted to commit Jesus because of his claim to be God. And now here is his half-brother. The one who wanted to commit him is now committed to him. So the gospel reconciled his family together. So here's what happens. James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring or dressed in fine clothes, ask them to tithe. No, that's not in there. I just see if y'all paid attention. Y'all got to be quick like that now. I just see if y'all were reading the Bible. And I'm <clears throat> back to the text. And a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, you sit over here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, why don't you go stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool? Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored them. You've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Here is a, a picture of Reverend James giving us a glimpse of, I think, a central idea in terms of how do we have healthy racial relationships. And he's given us this idea of partiality. In other words, he's given us this idea of something 
to these people had become a prejudice to them. It was their personal preferences suddenly became their top priority. Their, their personal preferences of letting the rich and the people like them, that became a priority to them. And so God wasn't showing partiality. God does not show partiality. You ain't his favorite. I know I just crushed some of you. He does not show partiality. But the children of God, they were showing partiality. And here comes Reverend James ready to rebuke them, and he does it. Because they have allowed their personal preferences to become their prejudices. How do we have healthy racial relationships? We cannot allow our personal preferences to become our prejudices. I can't allow what matters most to me become the first things of my life. Because engaging in racial relationships, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable at times, honestly. And, and I think that so many of us, we, we flock towards what's comfortable. We flock towards what's convenient. But that's not what the implications of the gospel is pulling us towards. Because we want what is our favorite to become our preferences in life. But here's James rebuking us in that idea and that thought. That you've allowed what's comfortable and convenient for you to take priority in your life. And in so doing, you have forsaken the poor. To suggest that you would just want them to sit on the floor. To suggest that you would just want them to sit towards the back. So James here is strong in his rebuke to them. So if we want to have these healthy racial relationships that God has called every one of us into, then we can't allow what's comfortable for us to be our primary preference. In other words, we can't allow just to flock, uh, just for ourselves to just flock to what's uh, our homogenous group of people. In other words, uh, if we want to engage in racial relationships we got to stop hanging around all white people if you're white. And for my black brothers and sisters, you got to stop hanging around, hanging around all black and white people. You've got to start engaging some of us. I'm not telling you to leave your culture. Celebrate your culture. I'm not telling myself to leave my culture. I'll celebrate my whiteness. <laughs> the whitest voice I have. But I can't allow that whiteness to become my prejudice when it comes to relationships. Ephesians chapter 4, he's going to give us some practical stuff. My boy Paul is.
I push this because at the end of the day, if all we have is a diverse church, yet no one is engaging in racial relationships, what have we really gained? What, so we could stand on a platform and say we have a diverse church? It's crazy. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore I, Paul here is talking, the prisoner and the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort, here's key, y'all, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look at verse 4. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, in all. Look at verse 7. Now grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. How can you grow stronger in your racial relationships, and I think that's the, that's the question we have to ask. How can we as a church grow stronger in our racial relationships? Paul gives us some pretty clear practical steps in how we do that in this central theme, unity. Unity, this isn't something optional. This is, in my opinion, a doctrinal distinctive of the church. Unity. This means that we have to be made known by making every effort to engage in unity. This other word may give you driven or eager to pursue unity. So here's how this works out in this context, that when we are engaging in racial relationships, when the opposite race says something that's offensive to you, your job is not to engage them in an argument. Your job is to engage them in unity. Because everyone is not going to see eye to eye, but as the body of Christ, we are called and we are charged here in this text to be driven by unity. I want to talk about what unity is and what unity is not. In fact, a unified church, honestly, according to what I'm reading here, is a measuring guide of the health and sustainability of a church. Let me say that one more time. Thank you, John. A unified church is the measuring gauge of how healthy a church is. If you don't have a unified church, you don't have a healthy church. Let me give you an example. When I read the scriptures, particularly the birth of the church, when I read about unified churches, things explode. 
you got in Acts chapter 13, some African brothers, they're coming up to Antioch, and they plant a church with this Roman Jew called Paul. And you know what a unified church did? They were responsible. If Paul had a home church, the church of Antioch would have been his home church, and the unified church was responsible for sending out Paul. You know why this is so spectacular? Because the unified church, let's just say it like this, they can take credit for old boy Paul. And if you don't remember Paul, he wrote about a ton of scripture. <laughs> Most of that New Testament you're reading, it was birthed out due in part of a unified church sending out this boy who would travel along the known world at that time, spreading the gospel and planting churches. That's the implications of a unified church. That's a healthy church, and they understood it. So you had all this diverse church in the Antioch taking this boy Paul and sending him out to these others. Living in unity, it also means that we are living for each other. Amen. So here's what unity is not. Because I don't want us to get confused, all right? Unity doesn't mean that we all have to agree on everything. Right? Because that's very difficult. In fact, y'all know I found one church, they agreed on everything, but there wasn't nobody going there. <laughs> Thank y'all for laughing. I thought it was funny when I thought about that joke. <laughs> Never one of y'all did. That's all right. Unif uh, uh, unity doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything. It just means that in our disagreements that we're pursuing after unity. Because there are a lot of us here, we don't agree on all aspects of everything. We don't agree theologically with everything. But what has to take place is that we have to agree on first things. The fundamentals is what we call them. We have to agree on the centrality of Christ. We have to agree on those fundamental things. But the moment that you take your secondary issue and you try to make it a primary issue, I mean, that's going, that's going to cause some friction. And so in terms of racial relationships, you've got to understand that you're not going to agree with everything that the person is saying, but that doesn't mean that you've got to start being all belligerent and, and in their face and, and throwing your fists and then getting all passive-aggressive and talking about them on Facebook. It doesn't mean that, that you get up in their face and say, see, I knew it. You're all the same. You're all just like that. I just knew it. Because unity doesn't mean that we agree to everything. It just means we agree on the first things. And it means on the things that we don't agree with, we just keep pursuing after the relationship with unity. 
Look at this other thing that he says, and I think key in this for racial relationships. He said, so each of you, you've been given a measure of grace. That's what we need, y'all. Because let me go ahead and just tell you. I will offend you in some way. I'm not giving myself the green card or the green light to offend you, green card. <laughs> Speaking of racial relationships, that don't, anyway. Okay, anyway, whatever. Um, help us God today. I don't even remember what I was saying. But um doesn't give us the green light. Thank you. It, it doesn't give us... <laughs> help us God. Y'all see what happens when we talk about something that's very, uh, uh, you know, kind of iffy and stuff. It messes with me a little bit. We need grace, though. And so when, when I do offend you, could you just give a little grace? And, and let me tell you this. Here's what I'll do to you. If you offend me, I'll show you grace. Pretty easy, isn't it? And I'm not talking about my homogenous group of people, because I'll offend y'all all the time. I'm talking about me as a white dude engaging in a relationship with my black brothers and sisters and Hispanic brothers and sisters. Will, will you show me grace when I get it wrong? Because there's a lot of us, and I'm going to talk about us, as, as white people, we're going to get it wrong. We're going to just get it wrong. But God has given you a measure of grace that you can also give it to us when we're not getting it right. And so here's what I'll do for you also. Because it goes both ways. That, that when you say something offensive or when you get it wrong, because you will because you're not perfect, here's what I'll do for you. I'll also give you grace. You know why? Because Paul is saying that you contend, that you fight, that this is what you are about, unity. So I can't allow my preferences to get in the way of a unified church. You cannot allow your preferences to get in front of or get in between us having a unified church. Because if, if you'll read through your scripture, the implications of a unified church changes the culture of where the church is. So instead of us pursuing just a, a diverse church, if we begin to pursue after being a unified church and a church that's pursuing after racial reconciliation, then I wonder what the community would start to look like. Listen to me carefully. We don't need more legislation. 
We don't need, no, we don't need any more people telling us what to do. Well, you got to do this, forcing it down our throats. What we need is the gospel out there pursuing after unity. That's the answer to racism. That's the answer to all of our white churches continuing to be white. That's the answer to our segregated churches. Do we really believe that the implications of the gospel is racial reconciliation? Because if we did, we'd be pursuing after these things. We'd be pursuing after unity. That's what we have to be after. A unified church. A church that's not just for me and my kind of people, but for us. That you and I have been grafted in your race. You've been grafted into the family of God. And yet we still celebrate these things. We still celebrate our culture. Celebrate your race. We celebrate something greater together. Knowing that one day we will not be marked as a Republican. Believe it or not. In heaven there's not going to be a ballot. You are not marked as a Democrat. You are part of a theocracy that is the kingdom of God, and that is where your citizenship lies in. It, it unnerves me when, when we identify, and I'm talking about uh, my white folks here, when we, when we identify ourselves or when we identify others as being a Christian just because they voted a certain way. Help me today, God. I don't know where. I need to stick with the Scripture. Honey, you are a part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will not end. Contrary to some of your beliefs, this great United States will fail one day. It just will. I'm not wishing it. I like where I live. All right? I'll wave my flag. You know, and I know you, you'll grill out and drink your beer on the 4th and do all these things, and that's fine. Do that. I mean, I didn't just advocate for you drinking beer. I was talking about, like, celebrating the 4th. You shouldn't do that, all right? It tastes bad. But you are a part of the kingdom. Some of you are like, I can finally do it. The preacher said I could. We're no longer Baptist up in this joint. Never claimed to be. But our citizenship, we're a part of the kingdom of God that has no end, that will not change kings, and that will rule throughout eternity. That's where my allegiance lies. That's where I'm a part of. And that kingdom has all races, all tongues, all tribes, all nations rejoicing according to Revelation. And they're singing one song, and it ain't Southern Gospel, thanks be unto God. But their song is one 
that will praise the name of God forever. Holy, holy is the Lord. That's our song. That's our anthem. Holy is the Lord. And so I want to press on us to engage in this. Lean into this. Let's grow our racial relationships together. Let's step outside of our comfort. Let's step outside of our preferences. And let's engage in what the gospel has called us into. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.